You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Great to see you today, and we want to take a moment to... uh, let you know this is also a special day for this church because today is April 17. And believe it or not, today, 17 years ago, the bridge had its first service. So we are now 17 years old. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to stand if you would. And before we go to the reading of the word, why don't you turn around and just tell somebody, happy bridge anniversary. You look awesome. No, you can remain standing. We're going to read the word today. We're going to go right into the Gospel of Luke. And uh, I've been preaching from the Gospel of Luke the last 12 weeks. And so we're going to continue that. But we're going to use Luke's account of the resurrection. And so I'm going to ask everybody to read with me Luke chapter 24. Verses 1 through 12, come on, let's all read together. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. The Holy Spirit, as we look at the word, the account of Jesus rising from the dead, we pray that you would touch our hearts, our minds, our spirits. We pray that it's not just something that we're appreciative of, but something, God, that affects the choices and the decisions and the momentum of our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Be seated. So as we're celebrating the Easter story today, it's probably one of the most preached messages, right? No matter what, if if you're a follower of Christ attending some type of Christian church, this is probably the number one passage that has ever preached. This and Christmas. How many know if you're a church of any kind, you're probably preaching these two passages? But here's the thing, the resurrection of Jesus is the most significant event in history. Why do I say that? Because I think if we would look at the story from a neutral standpoint, 
Jesus was a phenomenal leader. So let's just say we remove the spiritual factor. Let's look at Jesus. Number one, his business that he started 2,000 years ago is still going. Number two, he is in every country of the world, whether he got permission to be there or not. And there's billions of followers. Billions. And so his business model, his business plan, can not only handle the favoritism of a particular nation that lets it happen, his business model can work in a country who says, we don't want you here, we'll keep you out, and his business plan still works anyway. So here's the thing. Why can't people disprove Jesus? Why can't they come against him and silence him? Why can't they go after the resurrection and, and, and disprove it? Because I'll tell you this, the resurrection is one of the most proven things in history. In other words, it might stretch some people's imagination or their mind to go, I don't know if I buy into all that. But the point being is this, if there was anything that could disprove the resurrection of Christ after 2,000 years, the world would have played that card. But here's the thing. Why do I say that? I'm going to tell you something the Bible reveals to us about our faith, and it's this. There's a lot of activity in the Bible that talks about God, everywhere from Genesis all the way forward. But did you know that all that activity hinges on one thing, the resurrection of Jesus? If you could disprove the resurrection of Jesus, you would literally pull the plug on everything the Bible has to say. Now, some of you are going, I can't believe you're talking about this on such a good day. I'm just telling you. This is why this day is so important to us, because all of our faith rests on this event, on this story, on, I say, historical fact. You don't have to disprove all the Bible. You just have to disprove one thing. And you say, boy, that's a bold statement. Well, actually, it's not a bold statement. It's actually in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, the Apostle Paul wrote this. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Anybody need any explanation now? He's just saying, with everything that has happened, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, it's over. We all go home. This thing never happened. There's, there's, nothing about the, there's nothing about this faith that is real. This whole thing comes down to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And then it goes on to say, you're still in your sins. So after 2,000 years, why can't the world pull a plug on this thing? Why can't they just bring closure and say, it didn't happen and we can prove it. Well, here's the problem. Because it was actually the adversaries of Christ who had control of the scene and control of the events. And even though they were in control, they couldn't stop God. I mean, let's face it. They're the ones, okay, it was Jesus' adversaries, right, who put him on trial. It was Jesus' adversaries who crucified him. It was Jesus' adversaries that had a guard, a series of guards guarding the tomb and sealed the tomb. They were the ones in charge. They had complete control of the scene. And yet, he rose from the dead. Now, if anybody was going to tell you that, Jesus, that we can prove that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it would have been those folks. But you know, an angel showing up and the stone being rolled away and a dead man walking out of the tomb has a way of making guards go like dead men. And the only thing they could come up with was this. Let's go around and tell people that the disciples overtook us and that they stole his body. But the problem is, the evidence doesn't confirm that. Because if that happened, those soldiers should have been executed. Instead, the soldiers got to tell their story. 
They should have been executed. How can you have soldiers telling the story that they were overpowered and that, the, and that the disciples took the body of Jesus and the person telling you the story is still breathing when they should have died? So that's what I'm saying. Every time they come at an angle trying to disprove that Jesus rose from the dead, it never works. And so here we are 2,000 years and we're still celebrating and you got a lot of people who are just tolerating us celebrating. But it happened. So here's the thing as we look at the text, as, as it relates to the Gospel of Luke. How do you explain to people who don't fully understand that Jesus resurrected from the dead? I mean, this face and a lot of the verbiage that we use assumes the person we're talking to has some of that Christianese training. But how do you explain to somebody who has never maybe set foot in a church? How do you explain the resurrection to somebody who's maybe never really even delved into the Bible? And we, there's a lot of people in America. How do you have that conversation? I know that sometimes when I'm conversing with somebody on Main Street, that's a challenge for me. Because maybe they aren't orientated to the faith and they're asking questions like, so how did you quite get into what you do? And I say, oh, you mean pastor? Yeah, I'm not quite sure how people like you do what you do. And I know what you do on Sunday. What do you do the rest of your week? You know, and like, how do you, like, do you order your sermons online? You know, like, how do you, how do you come up with all, they're just being really sincere. I don't, I'm not mocking it at all. And so you're like, okay, so now how do I explain this? And I can't use Christianese because they don't know Christianese. How do I explain, we'll see Jesus rose from the dead? Yeah, I've heard you guys. Like, now, how, how do you actually know that? And you're there trying to explain something to somebody who doesn't maybe have the familiar language and territory and background that we do. And you're trying to say, well, he rose from the dead. And there's a lot of historical, and you, you go into this conversation. Well, let me just tell you, that's what Luke was, Luke's version of Jesus' resurrection is how he answers that question. Because he was writing to a bunch of people who didn't have a background in Christianity. And they had either just recently come into accepting Christ or were on that journey to become. And they kind of wanted to know, now, can you tell me exactly what happened and how it happened? And so here's the thing. He doesn't give us all the details because you can go to the other Gospels and get the things filled in there, some of the blanks. So he's only answering the questions that this group of people, they're, they're Gentiles, and many have no orientation towards the faith, and they're like, Show me how you know. And so this is what he writes. He just kind of gets to the bullet points of what they need to hear in that day, in that context. And so we're going to look at some of this and see how it applies to us. And everybody said, we're good with that. Good. All right, I'll preach to you all then. So, number one, read this out loud. Genuine expressions of love for Jesus position us for the supernatural. People are all the time saying, well, I'd love to see the supernatural. And part of that is this. Yes, I know that you can go to the, the Bible and see where the supernatural happened, even for people who oppose Christianity. Now, generally, the supernatural showing up in those contexts had more to do with judgment. But people are saying, I'd love to see the supernatural. So what I want you to see is this. Why did these women experience what they did? Why were they the ones First of all, it says on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. So the first thing you see is this. They went early in the morning. They were willing to invest times. 
invest time into this effort. You've got to remember, the 11, they're three quarters of a mile away. Ain't none of them getting up and coming to check things out. It was the women who had to go tell them. So we read here is this, that first of all, what we love, we invest time in. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, let me use this as an example. Let's just say, hey, can you get up at 2 a.m. and we're going to have a Bible study at 3. Most of you would go, I would really need a more convenient time to do that. I, I would totally agree. But let's say that I had said, hey, we got a, we got a place in the Caribbean and we're going to let you use it for free. But here's the catch. You're going to have to get up at 2 a.m., drive to the airport at 3 a.m., and uh, your flight's at 5 a.m. Most of you would go, I'm there. <laughs> Why? Because we love, we would love to go to the Caribbean, right? And especially if it's on somebody else's dime. And we're like, and I say, no, well, you know, if, now, if, it's too, if getting up at 2 a.m. is too hard. Oh, no, no, we'll make accommodations. You know, we'll go to bed early. We're good, you know, but, you know, I'll get up at 2, be on the road by 3, and we're out. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're excited. Why? Because you would love. Here, you know, we invest time in things we love. Why did these women get up and go early? They love Jesus. Love will cause you to do some crazy things, man. Remember some of you couples when you were dating? Some of you, uh, oh, for some, oh, I know. We have to go to another generation. Remember when you were courting? <laughs> ah, see, I got a reaction out of some of you who didn't give me an earlier reaction, yeah. Yeah, isn't it amazing when we fall in love, all of a sudden our schedule changes, right? Because we're, right. When we love, we invest time. Second thing you see is this. It says they took spices they had prepared. Let me, let me, show, let me show you this. So if you go to the Gospel of Mark, it says that when they, Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body of Jesus and the women followed and they buried the body. It does tell us in the Gospel of John, they did have 75 pounds of spices with them, but it was, it was somewhat rapid because of, there was a time constraint because of the, of the Sabbath and all, so they were in a time constraint. So during, this, during these three days that they're waiting, the women had actually gone out and acquired a little more spice, and you notice there was some preparation involved. You see that because it says that the women took spices they had prepared. So what you see is, and by the way, most people didn't get that kind of treatment. It was, it was just put you, you know, bury you and that's it, let's move on. So this was expensive stuff. So what you note here is this, is these women invested resources. Because number one, they, they went out and bought it, which it was very expensive. And number two, it says they prepared it, so they put some effort. So they were putting some resource, their time, or their, their monetary effort, and their, and their talent. And then we see this, it says that they went to the tomb. They put in some effort. We estimate that at least it was three quarters of a mile for the women. It could have been further because we're not exactly sure where they were. But we, we know based on how the layout was, they couldn't have been any closer than three quarters of a mile, probably more. So here you have this, that they have all this stuff early in the morning and they're carrying it to the tomb. And then when they discover that Jesus has been raised from the dead, they, they, they take off and they go another three quarters of a mile to tell the guys. 
So again, you read here is effort. Let me just share with you. So it's not, it's not a mystery. Why did these women experience the supernatural? Because they put in the time, they put in the resource, and they put in the effort. Because it was all based on love. Love is the very thing that sometimes takes a, a, a normal situation and can turn it into a supernatural situation. All because what? Your attitude changes. You're invested in it. You care. It's a big deal. The second thing you see in the story is this. Read it out loud. We don't always recognize. We don't always recognize that what we are experiencing is the supernatural. Our inclination is to immediately try to explain what's happening in front of us. It says they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So the first thing they notice is this. The stone that was rolled in front of Jesus' tomb was often referred to as a 20-man stone. It would take 20 men to move that stone. So upon approaching and seeing the stone was moved, there was immediate recognition mentally at least 20 people were here. This was probably not a good place to be in the last few hours because of the Roman soldiers. So the soldiers are gone, the stones moved. That means at least 20 guys were here. And Jesus' body is gone. And so there's that immediate recognition. What is wrong with this picture? What happened? Is there any signs of combat? Is there any sign of injury? Because there was a quick assumption by the ladies that somebody had stolen. We know this from the other accounts, that somebody had stolen his body. So they didn't, even though they saw the supernatural or experienced it, they didn't know that. But in hindsight, it came to them. So often things will happen in our life the same way. We call it luck. We call it fate. We call it good timing. We call it being in the right place at the right time. They just seem to catch all the breaks. And sometimes we're too quick to dismiss what may be really going on is the fact that, hey, you just experienced the supernatural. You just didn't see it. and You just didn't know it. I'll give you a case. I was trying to think of a great, uh, what I call a good illustration, and I thought of one. It's that time when I recognized the supernatural on a personal level, that I didn't know it at the time until I got a lot older and began to put things together and recognize what happened. When I was about, when I was about nine years old, my family, uh, we went to Arkansas to see my dad's side of the family, my mom, my dad, my sister, and me. And as uh, on the return trip, we had just pulled into a gas station. And I remember that car was an old, you know, how many know all cars back then were like boats? <laughs> Massive gas. So we had a 25-gallon gas tank. We just filled up. We had probably only gone two, maybe three miles down the road. And that's how quickly my sister and I could fall asleep. We only needed two or three miles. And boom, we're out. Well, we had come up on a construction site. It was a two-lane road, and they were paving it. So it's closing one lane down while they were allowing traffic on the others. So there's a flagman there, so we got stopped. We were the first car in line to get stopped on our side. Right in front of us was an asphalt truck that was loaded. He was ready to go up and make his dump into the paving machine. So he's in front of us. So we're the first car that when traffic clears and they flag us, we're going to pull out and go around. Unbeknownst to us, there was a school bus, it was empty with no kids, just a bus driver. He had lost focus and wasn't concentrating on what was going on on the road. So he's traveling about 40, 45 mile an hour, and he just rear ends us, but didn't even get a chance to tap his brakes. Shoves the car 
underneath the dump truck. And then he, the truck, didn't just mash up the back. It mashed it, and then he climbed up on top of the car with the bus. My sister and I were in the back seat. I got launched over the front seat. Yeah, those were before seatbelts were mandatory. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what, as we, none of us were injured, all four got out. And, you know, you start ascertaining what happened and what's responsible, and there's a lot of chaos at that moment. But in hindsight, as we begin to process, you know, and the adrenaline gets down, and over the years, you begin to look at the photos, and you notice the front windshield stopped at the back of the dump truck. It didn't even crack the windshield. And the back of the school bus bumper had climbed up on the truck, on the trunk of the car, and came at the back, and it stopped just a few inches from the back window, but never cracked the back window. And you had 25 gallons of gas and somehow, with it being crushed, the tank didn't rupture. Now, as you live in life, you realize that less severe accidents have happened where people lost their lives or were seriously injured. And, you, you know, in hindsight, as you look at that, you go, wow, there must have been one powerful angel sitting on the car doing that not today like I said at the moment you don't even think that God supernaturally protected but as you rehearse that you go wow I've seen way less severe accidents go way way bad what happened there why didn't those things happen it's like I said many times we don't recognize we're in the supernatural when it's happened until we get away from it. we look back and we go oh wow God you were there and you protected, you provided, you helped, you directed. Jesus, thank you. Amen. And so part of that is recognizing that in your, it wasn't chance, it wasn't luck. It wasn't just, well, what a coincidence of timing. Well, how did, how did you know that, that that second you needed to be in that place? I, I'm not going to, I don't want to offend you, but none of us are that smart enough. <laughs> you're either in the right place at the right time or you're not. And who controls that split-second decision-making? God. He puts us in the right places at the right... Five seconds earlier, you'd have missed it. Five seconds later, you'd have missed it. But he had you right there at the exact moment that it was needed. Number three, read it out loud. A holy curiosity causes us to step in where there's uncertainty. So you read on down, and it says, when they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, it says, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. This is critical because it says these women entered. I just want to let you know, as we look at the rest of the story later on, you won't find people going in. They'll be checking it out, but they ain't going in. The women have a holy curiosity, and they step in, and they want to know what's going on. And it says that they are looking, and they can see where Jesus used to be, and that his body is missing. What caused them in such a... I will say a, an environment where fear ought to be overtaking people. What caused these women to step in? Because they had a holy curiosity to be, what, what exactly happened here? And part of that applies to us today. We need to have a holy curiosity about what's happening around us and in the lives of other people. 
I don't know what it is, but we're always good at telling our story, but we seem to be less, less than excellent at hearing other people's stories. And so one of the things is this, is always having the ability to have some kind of curiosity as to what God is doing in other people's lives. I love meeting people one-on-one. -on -one. I, I find it somewhat humorous. I'll tell, I'll tell people, hey, love to get some coffee with you. And, you know, there's always that sometimes glassy-eyed look like, okay. They're going, all right, this is, I knew he was going to ask me to do something at some point. And we meet at a Panera somewhere, and we get to chat, and, and, I, and I'm starting to ask about God's activity in their life and what God is doing and how can I help facilitate it. And more often than not, they go, you yeah, know, today was not what I thought it was going to be. I thought you had some big ask you were going to ask me to do. And I said, well, no, I just want to find out what God's doing in your life and how can I help facilitate that. By the way, how many people here have ever met me in my office at Panera? <laughs> See, just look at the hands that just went up right here, okay? And it's just one of those things. I have a holy curiosity about what God is doing in a person's life. And sometimes I'll say, so what do you think the Lord is, what has the Lord been talking to you about? What's one thing you think God wants you to change? I always find it amazing they only need five seconds when I say that. And I go, wow, that was a fast answer. I thought you'd need 30 seconds at least. And in five seconds I say, so what do you think the Lord has been wanting you to do? Oh, he's been, and they're like, wow, you don't even need time to think of it. It's amazing what people know in their spirit they just never have taken the time to put words to what they sense in their spirit but when somebody asks the right question out it comes oh wow what's one thing i could do to help you make your life better what's one thing i could do to help you move into another dimension of god's activity a holy curiosity let me tell you this it's, it's critical. It's awesome to ask people questions and hear what God is doing. By the way, you will also learn how God is working in your life because you start to see some of the same familiar patterns in other people that you see in your own. So it's a great way to be, I call, schooled or discipled about the activity of God and how he does it. Number four, read this out loud. In uncertainty, look for divine manifestation. While they were wondering about this, the Greek word means this. Wondering means they had absolutely no idea what to do with what they were seeing. That's what the Greek word. So it's not just like, oh, wow. No, it's like, what in the world just happened here? And ironically, suddenly two men in clothes that gleam like lightning stood beside them. I don't know about you, but two people showing up gleaming like lightning in a graveyard? has my attention. And these divine beings brought clarity. How that translates to us is this. In John, it says this. Jesus said, my father is always at work. The problem is you and I just don't always know what he's doing. So sometimes we think God's doing nothing. So how do we love to pray? God, you need to do this. God, you need to do that. God, you need to fix my husband. God, you need to bless my wife. <laughs> There's human and humor, humor there if you'll just work with it for a second. Okay? We, we have this, we love to tell God what to do. As if God's like, oh, I never thought of that. Man, I knew I created you for a reason. You remind, no, it's, 
hey, God, I know, I know my son is away from you. I know, you. I know you're working. Problem is, I don't know what you're doing, so I don't know how to cooperate. Can you show me how you're working in my son's life? God, can you show me how you're working in my wife's life? Can you show me how you're working in my husband, my daughter, my grandkids? God, my friend, I know you're doing something, but I just, I just can't get a conversation about spirituality with them for nothing. Now, I know you're working there. I just, can you show me how you're doing? God, I've got this friend. I've got this friend. I've got this distant relative. I've got this name. God, I know you, you know what you're doing something. I just don't know what it is. And, and by the way, just say, God, show me enough. Never say, tell me everything. Have you ever learned stuff that you wish you could unlearn? Can I get a witness on that? Yeah, you just, oh, I wish I didn't know. Just say, hey, God, just show me enough so that I know what I need to do, how to handle myself, how to converse, how to have a conversation, how to reach them, how to talk to them, how to help them. Looking for that uncertainty. So, again, I was thinking of a way to explain this. Divine manifestation. So, when we, when we were having our first child, Back then, the Lamaze classes were hitting the scene, and now all of a sudden, you know, guys, used to be, you know, the husband just went and sat in the waiting room, and, you know, whatever, but I was kind of that first generation, all right, there's classes for you guys, and so, you know, we go through all these classes, and, you know, like, this is what's going to happen, and then we get to the, you know, so nothing went according to the Lamaze class schedule. <laughs> first of all, she's two weeks late. There's nothing in the class about what do you do in two weeks late. This is pre-cell phone, so every day I'm writing out this schedule, where I'm going to be, what I'm going to be doing. Here are the phone numbers, you know. And so every time I would go somewhere, hey, did anybody call? No. You know, hey, can I borrow your phone so I can check in to see how she's doing? Two weeks. I was getting exhausted. <laughs> so when, do, when, when, when does she decide to go into labor? Sunday morning when I'm sitting on the platform. And so the usher, she had said, I'm just not feeling real good today. I need to stay home. She stays home. And so in the middle of service, her water breaks. She calls the church, and the usher comes walking down the aisle. I'm sitting on the platform during the preaching, and he just does this. Everybody in the church knew what it was. <laughs> you know, you so, 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 you know, hey, you know, finally it's going to happen. You get to the hospital. And she had a very, very, very hard labor, and I'll save all the details. But when our son finally came out, he was blue. And I went, something's wrong. And boy, was I right. Literally, like 15, 20 seconds, he's out the door. You know, none of this, hey, you know, we want the dad to hold the baby and you're going to do this. I mean, like everything you learned in the Lamaze class just went out the window. Didn't get to do any of it. So now I'm like, she goes, where's, where's the baby? What's happening? What's going on? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, you know, you don't tell your wife he's blue. You know, you know, you know, and you're just like, and here's the thing, Neo, she was on the fifth floor and Neonatal was on the second floor. First time in my life I ran into, I don't know what to do. And I don't know where to go. Do I stay? Do I go? What, what am I, what am I supposed to say? Well, I don't know anything. It was, just, it was the most helpless feeling that I've ever had, that I'd ever had in my life up to that moment. And I didn't know how to manage it. And so finally, uh, our son was in neonatal for three days. And I can, man, I can remember going down there, and he's in this, I just call it a plastic cage, you know. 
and just putting my hands on there going, oh God, you got to do something. Something. I mean, this, this was not part of the script for having a child. This was not what was supposed to happen. In uncertainty, man, you look for divine manifestation. You beg for divine manifestation. You cry out for divine manifestation. You know, and after three days, he recovered, and six days later, they both were able to go home. But that, that, that emotionally helpless feeling, I'm supposed to do something, and I can't, is the most helpless feeling. Let me tell you something. That's the great time for you to expect divine manifestation. Because you can pray and say, oh God, I don't know what to do, but that doesn't mean you don't. And you can't be afraid to ask God to show up and, sh and do something that you know it is him. Divine intervention. Number five, read this out loud. Humility allows us, it allows us to hear from heaven. When these divine beings showed up, what did these women do? Did they go, well, what have you done now? No, no, no. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Let me tell you something. A posture for hearing from God is humbleness. It's acknowledging God, listen to me, that God doesn't owe you anything. But God still wants to help. He still wants, and it's just merely just saying, hey God, I don't have any merits. I don't have anything that would impress. You know, God, I, and I, I know that our community and this church, there's a whole diversity of education, you know, all kinds of accomplishments and whole different arenas. And you know, humility says, I've got this diploma, I've got this certification, I've got this recognition, I've got this accomplishment, I've got this background, I've done this, I've been here. I, God, none of that matters. It's just you and me. You're not impressed by letters that come after my name or before my name. Medallions and ribbons and medals. God, it doesn't impress you. You don't owe me nothing, God. But I'm asking. Let me tell you, the thing that touches God's heart is people who are hum uh, full of humility and just say, I trust you and I'm asking. Everybody said amen. amen. Number six. By the way, there's seven of these, so you can relax. <laughs> you should just see the wave of satisfaction that just hit the congregation. Number six. Read it out loud. God wants to use our testimony in the lives of others. What did these women do when they learned of Jesus' resurrection? When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother, James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. We've got to get comfortable telling our story and the things that we've experienced and the things that we've seen. Now here's the challenge in all that. Sometimes people may have a background, they go, yeah, but I got a bunch of stuff in my background I'm not real proud of, and I'd, I'd rather people not know. I'd rather people not be, uh, learn about some of those things in my life. And let me tell you something. Sometimes, you're, sometimes people are ashamed of their background, but what you need to hear is this. 
You testifying about what God brought you out of and what God brought you through could be the solution and could be a preventative measure in somebody else heading down the same road. Sometimes people need to know the stuff we had to wade through to get to where we are. They look at you today and they go, man, I can look at, I look at you and I don't even see any of that today. And some of you are like, thank God. No, 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 no. That's a testimony of how much he's redeemed you and healed you. That people now look at you and go, I can't even imagine that story that you just told me is you. I can't imagine that. First of all, that's a testimony of how God redeems and God heals. But the second thing is this, you need to recognize your story can be the preventative measure in somebody who thinks they're smart enough to beat the consequences of sin. And you need to go, I was smarter than you. And I didn't beat it. I was more brilliant. I was more informed. And I still didn't beat it. You're a fool if you think you will beat it. Don't head down that road. You don't want to go there. Because I'm telling you, you can't control. If you go there, the devil will take you farther than you want to go get you to do more than you want to do, and get you to stay longer than you ever said you'd stay. He hooks you. And by the time you realize you don't want to do this anymore, you can't walk away from it. You're stuck. And now you need a thing called deliverance. The best thing other than deliverance is to be in a spot where you never need it. <laughs> so God wants to use your testimony some of you, like I said, have things you just go, man, I don't want people. I'm not saying that you stand up and broadcast it. I'm just telling you, don't be afraid to use what God brought you out of to be a preventative measure for somebody else. I, see, I'm going to tell you something. You look at my life. I don't have a dramatic story. Okay? I never, I never got into those kinds of issues in life. But I, here's the thing. As a, as a parent, I want to tell you, I'm a testimony of how God can keep a kid from going down those wrong paths. Okay? And as a parent, you need to know you can make choices about your children that can limit. It's not guaranteed, but it can limit the chance that they will take wrong paths and wrong choices. Because in the end, it's still a personal decision and a personal choice that a person makes. But I'm just an example in my own life that God does keep you if you stick with him. You might be amazed at what God keeps you out of. Everybody said amen. amen. Here's the last one. This is going to, you're going to have to look at the wording as you read it very carefully. Come on, let's read it. Until you put your faith in Christ, you're just wandering and wandering. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Well, boy, that's a lousy testimony for a bunch of spiritual guys. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. So here's Peter's response. Notice it says he bends over. The women went in. Peter, 
He's, he's still chicken. <laughs> he has not gotten over his chicken, his chicken factor at all. Okay? He won't even step in. He bends over to check it out. And, he, and look at this. It doesn't say he believed. It says he's wondering in his mind. What happened here? He doesn't believe what the women have just said. He's just wondering in his mind. And it's not till late. Listen, it's not till later when Jesus walks through the walls and the disciples are there and he says, greetings. And now all the disciples start to believe because Jesus is there. And then he leaves by going through the wall. That'll make a believer out of anybody. And you know what the women had to say? We told you. <laughs> we told you. But they didn't believe him. Had experienced it themselves. So here's what's ironic. The women believe. And the disciples see the same thing but don't believe. They're just wondering. Which leads to the fact that spiritually they're wandering with an A. Wandering. How does that relate to us? A lot of people believe about Jesus, but they don't believe in Jesus. Big difference. Think Jesus, Son of God. Oh, yeah, He's Son of God. Absolutely. You think Jesus, yep, yep. Have you put your faith and trust in Him? Oh, I believe He exists. It's not what I said. I said, if you put your faith and trust in him. Well, I mean, I believe he exists. Well, yeah, so do the demons. That didn't make them saved. It tells us in the New Testament that even the, tremble, even the demons believe in God and trembles. Oh, it's, this is going beyond that he exists. This is saying, I believe enough I'll let him shape my life. I believe enough. I'm going to obey his teachings. I believe enough. I'm going to be a follower. I'm going to move from acknowledging, oh yeah, Jesus, son of God. Oh yeah, rose from the dead. That's acknowledging. There's a lot of people acknowledging Jesus. But when you believe in him, you say, let me follow. Let me ask you a question this morning. If you sat down with Jesus at Panera, <laughs> and you said this, hey, Jesus, what do you think of my life? What would you hear back? See, I think most of you answered that within five seconds in your brain. Hey, Jesus, what do you think about me? Hey, Jesus, if there's one thing you would change in my life, you would change what? I think most of you just answered that in five seconds. See, what you have is this. He's talking. You're listening. 
I just put you in a place where you finally just acknowledged. You know what he's saying. And you know what he wants. What do you want out of me, Jesus? What do you want me to change? What do you want me to do? Move from acknowledging to believing. Everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet this morning as we wrap this up. Would you do that? Can we take about 30 seconds? Can you just lift your hands? I want you to praise him. That he's a God who converses with you. Why? Because he rose from the dead. He didn't rise from the dead just to be silent. He rose from the dead because he wants to have conversation. He wants to have a relationship with you. Come on. Thank him for the fact that he's talking to you today. Come on.